Hi, I'm David Freudberg, the host of Humankind. People sometimes ask about the big picture of our work. Why do we present these programs? The answer is we're trying to cultivate a more cohesive sense of community. And our vision of community is based on personal ideals and values, such as compassion, generosity, equality, and civility. We aim to serve the large and growing audience of people who seek a positive alternative to media negativity and exploitation. And we strive to shed light on solutions, not just problems. If you resonate with this vision, you can support us at humanmedia.org and click How You Can Help at the top of our homepage. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. Most low-wage workers are just frustrated because they're doing everything America's asked, but they can't get there. Um, that, that elusive American dream is just that. It's kind of a dream with no reality to it. The financial battle and emotional angst of low-paid full-time workers who are barely getting by. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. If you've ever tallied up the month's bills only to discover the balance in your bank account won't stretch far enough, you know something of the anxiety that gnaws away at low-income workers. Often with minimal or no savings, they perform a continuous juggling act in hopes of making ends meet. Social policy researcher Gordon Berlin in New York studies the conditions of the working poor. Instability is one of the major issues, and they have very few, if any, really no, usually no assets in order to weather a job loss, um, a sudden um, eviction problem, um, a health issue, um, you know, getting mugged and getting hurt, all the kinds of things that happen in life that happen more frequently to you if you're poor. Uh, middle class people have resources and assets that they can draw upon. The poor don't have those assets, so they end up losing a job, and that um, exacerbates all the other problems. Um, they end up then losing their housing. Um, they're struggling to find another place. The population of workers who can't seem to get ahead, those earning an average of about $10 an hour before taxes, is increasing in America. In the past, people with limited education could find manufacturing jobs that gave their families a chance to join the middle class. But as many of those jobs have migrated overseas, the U.S. labor force more and more is divided between low-wage jobs and higher-paying positions that require lots of education, which many of the working poor lack. And economists fear this great divide is here to stay. Northeastern University professor Barry Bluestone analyzes the labor market. At one time, if he had a decent education, which might mean high school or a little bit of college, uh, and you kept your nose to the grindstone, you were pretty well assured that you'd have a job and you'd have an income, your Social Security would be there, you'd have health insurance by your employer. Today, in part because of free trade, 
globalization, the ability of huge corporations to move nearly at the speed of light, closing down one operation here, opening it somewhere else, people who at one time would have never worried about uh, their job security now worry about it. Yeah, my name is uh, Jerry Messler. Uh, I'm 64 years old, and I've uh, been working for Hannon Security as a security officer for four years. In the Minneapolis, Minnesota area, I've been talking with one group of low-paid workers, security officers who guard residential communities and office buildings. Do you like the work? Well, it's not particularly rewarding. Depends on the account that I'm at. Some places where I've worked in the middle of the night, it's like zero contact. You see a person when you get there as you're changing places with them, the same thing eight hours later, and you have contact with no human beings other than maybe talking on the phone occasionally to somebody, uh, and that I don't particularly like. It's kind of a lonely lonely work night? Yes, it can be a very long night. Um, and you said it's not particularly rewarding. Well, it's not rewarding for me because um, I have a big enough ego that's, that my intelligence and background is is more than being a security guard just sitting there to make sure that the doors are locked. <laughs> Inquiry Mall, I've never been there. No, well, you see that Sometimes Jerry Messler hangs out with other security officers who are active in the Service Employees International Union, which also represents janitors, window cleaners, and other property services workers. Jerry's had a series of careers, from sales to performing institutional surveys at universities. He's also had a series of tough breaks. So to cut expenses, Jerry, who's now single, recently moved into a one-bedroom basement apartment in Minneapolis. Well, I look at myself as not being abject poverty, but I do consider myself definitely uh, working poor, that uh, I can't see myself as being described as anything higher than that whatsoever. Where's the pinch that you're feeling? Well, the pinch that I'm feeling is all the money I had saved and invested for retirement uh, is gone. Uh, it's gone for, for two different reasons. Uh, one, I was invested aggressively in the market and it crashed and took away half of my money right there. And then uh, when I was laid off, I pulled into some of my 403B money, which is the same as a 401k. So it did not take too long that I exhausted all my, uh, my savings and then I was basically flat broke and I uh, was forced to go to work for Hannon. So do you have any cushion? Do you have any savings? No. I don't even have a savings account at this point. Does that hurt? Oh, yeah. It's, it's just it's depressing. Uh, so, you know, in, in a certain sense, it's sad for me. And I'm 64 years old. I've, in a certain sense, done everything right. Now I've made some, you know, mistakes along in my life as far as investments and, and so on and so forth. But nevertheless, uh, I haven't been a rebel. I haven't been living it out on the streets. I haven't been doing drugs and all those various things. And here I'm 64 years old, and, well, you know, I'm, I'm not living on the streets, but I'm not that far away from living on the streets either. Well, there are a lot of people in my situation. Do you know others? Oh, yeah. There's a, a gentleman that, that he's, quote, relieving me, you know, five days a week. I go home at 3, and he comes on at 3. He's a minister, uh, and at this point, he doesn't have a church. And prior to this, there was a man uh, that was working, 
quote, extra duty at the account that I'm at now. He got laid off a long time ago as a bank vice president. And, you know, he has a retirement income. He has, you know, some investments or whatever he's got, you know, supporting him. But on the other hand, it's not an adequate amount. So he works uh, as a security officer. There's a woman that I happen to work with on very rare occasions. I don't know what her story is exactly, but uh, she worked for 3M. She has a Ph.D. in microbiology, and she's working as a security guard. Where people land in the labor force is affected by knowledge level, work habits, people skills, but also factors over which we have little control. The winds of ever-accelerating global economic change are blown by complex conditions, from technology to politics. In America, many rank-and-file workers find themselves at the mercy of these powerful forces. Policy researcher Gordon Berlin of MDRC in New York. Everyone is puzzled by the fact that we've had economic growth and no one's wages are really growing um, throughout this last three or four years. Um, and that's a, you know, a big puzzle to everybody. Most of the productivity increases and economic growth um, seem to be translating into profits and being concentrated in the top 1% uh, of earners and um, households and not really being spread. Even those with college educations haven't seen their earnings rise anymore. The Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that um, by the year 2014, nearly half of all of our jobs would be low-wage jobs. That means half the American workforce living at the economic margins? I was surprised to learn that currently 47 percent of Americans are paid at these levels. Gordon Berlin calls it a relentless recession that he sees as the long-term trend. You know, jobs that um, pay, you know, under 10 bucks an hour between, you know, 7 and 14, usually averaging about 10 bucks an hour, something like that. So the average person is going to be making, you know, 20, 15,000, 20,000, 25,000 dollars a year or so. The poverty line for a family of four in America today is 20,000. Most people think that line is well outdated and, and isn't enough for a family to really make it in America. Numerous surveys have shown the true costs for a family to make ends meet come to about $40,000 a year, varying somewhat by geographical area. Nancy Cawthon studies how this affects families at Columbia University's National Center for Children in Poverty. I think for most people working in those conditions, it's understandable that they do feel trapped because unless they can find some way to increase their skills, increase their level of education, do something so that they have more to offer an employer, it's very difficult for them to get ahead. The kinds of jobs that we're talking about are jobs that for the most part don't offer career ladders. I need a waffle cheese, no onion, no tomato, extra pickle, extra lettuce. You can be working at a Burger King and working on the front line and Maybe the farthest you can go in that Burger King is being a manager, and even that's not a job that pays a lot of money. So for those of us with more education, more skills, we think in terms of a ladder, and we take the first step, and we take another step, and we feel like if we work hard, then we'll be able to climb that ladder. These are workers who can work as hard as they can, 
they can work multiple jobs, but the ladder's not there for them to climb. So if you're uh, working in a hotel cleaning rooms, what's the next step? I think it's helpful for those of us who are fortunate enough to not feel these financial strains to think about what it's like to work if you have two parents in the family, two full-time jobs, or a single parent and a full-time job, and raising kids. It's hard even for those of us who have adequate resources just because of the demands, juggling a school day with uh, a nine-to-five job, those kinds of hours. How are you going to get off work to get the child to the dentist? How are you going to get off work to meet with your child's teacher? So if you think about how hard that is, imagine what starts to happen in a family where you have constant financial stress. So the person who has no paid sick time, when they're sick, what do they do? Do they go to work so they get paid, or do they stay home and lose their pay? What if they have a sick child? Do they stay home with that child, risk losing their job, risk losing that pay, or do they leave that child at home sick? And we know that happens. So in a life that's already stressful, I've worked all day, I've come home, I've managed to get the kids, got them fed, now I'm supposed to help them with their homework, I don't even understand how to help them with their math homework anymore. Oh my gosh, how am I going to pay the rent tomorrow? Visa's calling and I'm overdue and I owe them hundreds of dollars in charges. That's where the problem comes, is when it starts to snowball and you compound one hardship on top of another. You're listening to Barely Getting By, a documentary project from Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on the working poor, visit our website, humanmedia.org. When I first there, they hired me as a scheduling coordinator. This is Anne St. Just, a U.S. citizen born in Haiti, living as a single mom in Boston. She's more than fully occupied raising her five children, ages 8 through 16, including twins. She almost buckled under the high rent, so recently she scraped together enough for a down payment and bought a triple-decker in Dorchester, where they live on the top floor. Her two tenants don't pay enough to cover the mortgage, but she sees it as a way to build wealth. She also wants to advance her education. Oh, and did I mention she averages $13 an hour working two jobs, a total of 56 hours a week. One is at a nursing home. I work as scheduler for two years. And after that, I start working as a certified nursing assistant because I start taking my courses for, for the nursing program. Because at that time, I cannot do working as a scheduler. You have to work from 9 to 5. Right. And then I want to go to school in the morning. And if I, I realize if I work as a nursing assistant, I can go to school, you know, in the morning. That's when I did it. I work night, and then I go to school in the morning. And um, I get my associate degree from biological science and pre-health. 
my you, diploma is You're pointing there. to your diploma on the wall. Yes, I got it on the top there. And this is my picture. How does that feel for you to look at a college oh, diploma on the wall? I'm so proud because it's like not only me, my, even my family, my kids, they're so proud because they said um, it's not easy, you know, to, be, to, to raise five kids, to work night, and go to school and get an associate degree. Congratulations. Thank you. That was a lot of work. Definitely. And you're hoping to become certified as a nurse? Um, what I did, and then even though I try, I went to the class. I did. I start. I got everything, all my books. I start, no, no problem. But, you know, from September to October, end of October, I start, I get sick because it was too hard for me. Sometimes I even forget about food and stuff like this to study because you need to get got a lot of reading to do. So do you, do you feel you sort of overdid it? Exactly, definitely, yes. Did you tell me you got pneumonia? Exactly. And then I went to the hospital. I explained to them my problems. And then they, um, when I explained to them, they said, when you work like this, you work too hard. You don't have time to, to get rest, you know, to, to eat properly. Your immune system go down. And then when I get back from the hospital, I failed the semester. You failed the semester. I failed. And then it was um, foundation of nursing. And I realized probably uh, it's better if I continue with, um, you know, instead to get the nursing, I will go to get a bachelor from biology, biological science. It's a long way. But anyway, I want to make it because I don't want to stay as a nursing assistant. For low-wage workers who have children, they've got worries on multiple levels. Dr. Nancy Cawthon of Columbia University. They're worrying about how to get by day to day. For most of these people, I don't think that they're worrying about their career track. They're worried about how to pay their rent this month. They're worried about how to pay the food bill. They're worried about just how to get by. Another level, I think, is worrying about their children, um, seeing a lack of opportunity not only for themselves but for their children, and feeling badly about that as parents not being able to give their children that, that chance to, to get ahead and do something that they weren't able to do. So they fear that they might pass on to their children the rut that they feel stuck in. That's right. In a country where we've set up the expectation that your children, if you work hard, then you'll be able to provide a better life for your children than you yourself have had. And I think a lot of these families don't feel like they can do that. But then on another level, and this I think can, can be uh, one of the most devastating from a family point of view is just the the psychological consequences of feeling like no matter what you do you can't better your situation that's going to be hard for an individual but that's also a very heavy stress for a parent to carry come on Stephen come and take with mommy no you don't have socks you just on your, your, your head come the other side the only thing, only thing make me sad. Sometimes I forget about myself, you know, working like this. My, the, the sad part in my life is my kids. The sad part in this story, working hard, working two jobs full time, you know, I, I, I try to handle it. 
but only thing bird, you know, my, give me my conscience, you know, even if I'm at work, I cannot be happy too much because I'm thinking about my kids. You see what I mean? Yeah. Because even sometimes my mother passed by, even sometimes my mother helped, you know, but it doesn't matter. Without a dad, the mother is supposed to be for the kids. But sometimes I have to stay out. Now, we haven't really talked about the dad. Where is he now? Right now, I know he is in, in some part in Florida. I don't really know because I don't really have, you know, I don't really know his address. Why did he leave? He lived in 2001. I think, you know, most of the part, we you know, I always talk to my husband. Telling my husband we got five kids is not a game. Getting five kids, you need to be, you know, put your feet on the floor and work. But my husband wasn't be on my side. So here you are in a situation, you have to work 56 hours a week. Yes. Do you feel trapped? Yes, sometimes, yes. Because, you know, I cannot even sleep. I'm, I'm worried about things. I'm, I'm worried about, you know, if one day something happened to me as a single mother, what is going to be about with my kids? You see what I mean? I'm worried about what um, the portion I'm, I have in the house. Because if I have to feed my kids properly, the money is not enough. The money is not enough. I went to the food pantry. I got help couple other places. I learned my kids not to see, okay, well, my friend told me, you know, I, I ate shrimp or lobster. Mommy, you're supposed to give it to me. I said, you accept or you learn to eat or learn to do things the way life offers you to do. With that, you don't have any problem in the future. The clothes they have to dress, sometimes I have to go to, you know, to the place they have used clothes. You see what I mean? To buy clothes for them. But for five kids, the money I have, even for the 56 hours, if I said, okay, I have to go to Walmart or I have to go to Macy's or to the mall to buy clothes for them, it won't be enough. Well, there was a book out that was fairly popular a few years ago. Um, they Moved My Cheese or some such title. And hey, they moved my cheese. I just haven't been able to find the new cheese. Back in Minnesota, Jerry Messler, the security officer, also faces tough choices. He works his full 40 hours a week, but instead of taking vacation time he's earned, he skips the time off and accepts the cash instead. Occasionally, Jerry's financial straits leave him down in the dumps. Has there ever been a time when you've had to choose between food and heat or medicine? Have you ever been pushed to, to that level? Yeah, that's a 100% yes on that. I've always sat down and chose food. <laughs> uh, and I had been on antidepressants. I'm no longer on antidepressants because uh, samples have been given to the guy that I was seeing as a shrink. And you know, I just had free meds through the uh, psychiatrist because he knew my financial circumstances. Then his pharmaceutical companies he was dealing with changed, and it was no longer going to be eligible. And uh, I ended up uh, applying to two different companies because of the two different pharmaceutical companies. And one, I've never successfully got the paperwork through, and it, for him, I have to go back and see him again. That's, uh, I don't know, 150 bucks a pop. But the insur uh, the the one med I was on was going to at a reduced rate was going to be one hundred fifty five dollars a month. I can't afford one hundred fifty five dollars a month, so I weaned myself off. 
And so, yeah, I, I can t tell you I'm probably still, I know I'm still depressed, but I take no medicine for it because I absolutely cannot afford it. Um, what do you do to uh, lift your spirits if uh, not pharmaceutical methods? Well, I have, um, I have basically two methods per se. I have a, a plant growing light that, you know, they sell these fancy lights so that you can overcome uh, sad uh, seasonal affective disorder. I have a $10 lamp I bought from uh, a home supply store that, that does the same type of a thing. And I also uh, ride a, a bicycle, and that gives me some physical activity and also gets my mind off of things. Well, those sound like pretty good uh, remedies. It's certainly cheaper than 150 bucks a month. Do you feel like a victim of this situation, um, or do you feel you've made mistakes or choices you regret that play a part in, in these economic conditions? Both of those are true. Uh, I've made mistakes. Uh, if I'd have stayed with the state of Minnesota, guess what? I'd still be working. I'd still have adequate health care and so on and so forth, and I'd have a better retirement than what I'm looking for, forward to at this point. So in that sense, yes, I've made mistakes. But on the other hand, it was the overall uh, economic situation that caused the university to have the layoff that it did. Security guards, who sometimes work their shifts in isolation, must have plenty of time to ruminate on their past, to ponder what-ifs, and maybe sometimes to lament mistakes, as many of us might roads taken do have consequences. But how much control do we ultimately have? How much do the decisions we make define the circumstances of our lives? You know, people talk about personal choice here. Policy researcher Gordon Berlin in New York. I chose not to work hard in school and ultimately to drop out. Um, I chose to get involved in a criminal activity, etc. It's clear that people do have choices to make. At the same time, uh, you can't dismiss these broad, sweeping uh, labor market and economic changes that are really transforming life as we know it in the labor market. The big picture in the United States in recent years is that millions more Americans, including a significant population of children, are now living in poverty. And just slightly up the economic ladder, an even larger share of workers feel insecure in the face of health care and tuition costs that seem to soar without limit. America has entered a new chapter. I guess the best way to think about it is to go all the way back to the post-World War II period, believe it or not. Between 1947 and 1973, average earnings and wages grew by about 60 percent. Um, it was as if everybody in the United States was on an up escalator. Even for the poor population? Mostly for the poor populations. Income inequality was narrowing during this period because, again, a disproportionate share of economic growth and productivity enhancements were going to workers, and especially workers at the low end. So by 1973, the average high school dropout could support a family of three um, above the poverty line. Then suddenly, it was as if that up escalator came to a grinding halt. It was a difficult time for the economy. But then in the 1980s, we got a lot of economic growth, and we had a lot of jobs created, but there was no earnings growth. And that was the first time that that had happened. And right up until today, average earnings are actually 
15 or 20 percent lower than they were in 1973. In the 1990s, when many sectors of the American economy roared again, all boats began to rise, and even people at the lower echelons did somewhat better. But now the working poor are losing ground again. Free trade relationships and the worldwide digital revolution make it easy for big U.S. corporations to hire cheaper labor overseas. And yet people who work in service jobs that have to be performed here, like cleaners and nursing aides and security guards, are still squeezed very hard. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck, Mike Laracy, Ellen Lawton, and Kathy Graham. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with The Network Incorporated. Program development and support provided by Shart Media. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This segment, part two of Barely Getting By, is Humankind Program number 120. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.